we have the great trainer and, and great amateur boxer, pro fighter, uh, John the Iceman Scully. Iceman, Iceman. Welcome to you the know. show. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. Yeah, great to have you. Episode, four, what's this, 14, 13? I have no clue. <laughs> what are those? I don't know. I know that John had a record of 38 wins, 11 losses, and 21 uh, by the way of knockouts. And uh, reading up a little bit about you, uh, they called you the Iceman because your head was shaped like a box. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's how it, it, it wasn't a boxing nickname. It was a it was a junior high school insult that <laughs> turned into a nickname with my friends later on. Jeez, well, you carried it on. You carried it on. You carried the, the name on. Uh, I was also reading that um. Uh, you sparred at uh, Marvin Hagler's gym with the Petrelli brothers. Uh, had somebody for you to spar, and they busted your nose. Um, oh, I sparred there with many guys. I used to spar with uh, Robbie Sims, who's uh, Marvin Hagler's half brother. Uh, I sparred with Stevie Collins, uh, who ended up being two-time world champion. I sparred with him quite a bit there as well. Nice. I know your amateur record was. 57 wins and 13 losses, and I believe you had one exhibition and two Junior Olympics that weren't uh, counted because of, uh, I guess, the age. Um, wait, I couldn't hear you hear what you said there about, about so, what happened about the Olympics. So you had, you had, a, you had 57 victories, uh, 13 losses yeah. in the amateurs, one uh, yeah. exhibition, and two uh, yeah. Junior Olympics uh, fights that weren't counted on there. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, I started. Uh, I had two, one exhibition, one exhibition, two Junior Olympics, and then I turned sixteen, and so I had to go into the uh, senior division, which was uh, had nine novice fights, and then I then I turned over class. Yep. Nice, John. So, what are you doing now? Are you doing any training now? Yeah, um, I train. I train pro fighters. I've been training. Uh, I actually, when I was boxing as a pro, I trained amateurs at the same time. So I was, you know, like one one week I'd be fighting, and then two weeks later I'd be at a tournament with some amateur kids. Um, and then so I I transitioned to uh, to a full time trainer after my boxing last fight, and uh, I've trained numerous professionals, several world champions, and. Uh, Right now, I'm, I'm assisting in the training of uh, light heavyweight champion Archer Betabayo. Oh man, that's we were just talking yeah, about him not yeah. too long ago. Yeah, I love I love him. I love his work yeah, rate. Yeah, yeah, he's a killer. Killer. <laughs> I want I want Canelo to fight him. Yeah. I, and you know, I've been saying I uh, you know that's the biggest fight, obviously. Uh, I wouldn't even blame Canelo if he didn't want to fight Archer because. It's a big jump, you know, the guy's a beast, he's a different mentality. I've been with a lot of fighters, I've been with a lot of human beings in my life, and Arthur has a very, very different and special mentality. He doesn't care about anything as far as, like, being a fan. Arthur's not a fan. Arthur, I was telling someone this today, they didn't believe I said if Joe Smith was the WBO champion, if, if Joe Smith walked up to Arthur in the gym and Arthur saw him coming, Arthur would have no idea who he is. He would not know. He doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't. When, when Canelo just fought uh, Caleb 
guys have been fighting. We were all in the gym. And I already knew the answer, but I, I asked it just to be funny. I said, hey, did you see the fight Saturday? And he's like, no, 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 I, I don't I don't watch boxing. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't care about these guys. He just wants to train himself, get himself ready, do whatever we tell him to do. You know, he doesn't know these guys. So, like Marcus Brown, he just fought Marcus Brown. He knew what to do against Marcus Brown because we watched Marcus Brown and we told him. Right. He doesn't, he wouldn't even know Marcus Brown until he got in the ring with him. Uh, so he's, he's, a, he's a special mentality. You know, he just wants to win. He trains hard. He obviously hits phenomenally hard. And, uh, you know, he's a different kind of fighter. He's a special fighter for sure. I was yeah. watching you fight uh, Michael Nunn many, many yeah, yeah. years ago, and he was one of my yeah. favorite fighters. That fight could have gone either way. Yeah, yeah, very clear. You know, it was a close fight. Uh, it's funny because him and I became friends while he was incarcerated. I was writing to him, and we were writing to each other, and I actually just saw him in California uh, a couple months ago. And we spent time together and hung out and, uh, you know, did some videos together. And I've been helping him with some stuff. But, yeah, he, um, you know, I fought a good fight. It was one of my better fights as a pro. I was very happy with the performance. A big reason for that was because it was Michael Nunn. Like, I, I looked up to Michael Nunn. Right. I, you know, I was a fan. He's a, he's a great fighter. And because he was so great, that pushed me to do better. Because training for the fight, I kept... I kept thinking of him knocking out Colin Bay and, and Frank Tate, Curtis Parco, and, and, and Roldan. And so I got it in my mind to just be like unbreakable, unhurtable, you know. And, and, and I, uh, it, it worked for me. In that particular fight, it worked. It was a very good fight. Uh, I didn't get the decision, but I'm, I'm, I'm happy with the performance. <laughs> John, so tell me, give me a rundown on your first professional fight. Took place in September uh, 16, I believe, 1988 against... Um, Man, were you there? I wasn't there. <laughs> I just like following everything. So, uh, Paul, Paulino Falcon, correct? I think he had a record of one and nine. Have headgear, so their faces are protected to a, a much better degree. 
but I'm, I'm in the dressing room for my pro fight, and I'm seeing I, all these guys coming back to the dressing room, and everybody's got black eyes and cut lips yeah. and bloody noses, and, and I'm saying, man, you know, the pros, there's a different game. And uh, so we fight, and I went out. I, I, I could say I was kind of nervous, you know, I was nervous as expected. Um, he was kind of a wild puncher, trying to catch me with a wild shot. And uh, the whole thing was just kind of a blur. It was more like a all-encompassing event. Like, I don't remember the details of the fight other than I, I, I guess I broke his rib. That was the story. The story was mm-hmm. he had to go to the hospital. He had a broken rib. I was a good body puncher. Um, but I just remember being in the dressing room and, you know, it was my dressing room as opposed to in the amateurs where you could be in the dressing room with 30 other guys at a tournament. Now I'm a pro, I had my own. And that, probably more than anything, made me realize like I was a pro, like I had my own dressing. I was, that was, after all these years, that's what I remember about the fight. I had my own dressing room and it made me feel like a, a real pro fighter. Mm-hmm. John, uh, as a former pro, Trainer now, you, you were a trainer when you were a pro, which I didn't even know until today. Um, what advice do you have for a young amateur fighter that's going to the pros? Um, I'll tell you this, and I've said this for so many years. Um, You're discouraged on first. <laughs> I, I do. No, I do. I've, I've talked more guys out of going pro than I can remember. And I've had guys come up to me years later and thank me for not letting them turn pro because if you're if you're an amateur you know pro is different pro is a business it's a, professional boxing is a business yep. period and and it's more so than most people even realize uh if you're not if you don't have a realistic chance of being a good pro and i mean solid pro being on tv making money having people know who you are getting up in the you know even at the USBA or the NEBA, NEBF rankings, uh, you shouldn't do it. It's not a way, it's not a life for most boxers. I tell most boxers, amateurs that want to go pro, listen, if you love boxing, you really love to fight, stay amateur. You're going to get to fight a lot more as, as an amateur than you are as a pro. You're going to, you could fight the amateurs 30 times a year, yep. especially if you're a higher level and you go to nationals and stuff. You turn pro, especially during the COVID era, era, there's not as many shows. It's a dirty game. You're going to realize that everybody, every, I, I, this is my advice to pro. Realize this. Once you set your team, your manager, your trainer, your promoter, whoever it is, your advisor, whoever it is, everybody else is the enemy. Everybody else is against you. Everybody else wants you to lose. They want to, you, they, they, you know, I have guys call me to this day. They'll call me and, and say, hey, man, you know, I see you got a kid, uh, you know, he's got a, he's, you got a good young kid. He's got three fights. I, you know, I got a good fight for him. I got a real good fight for him. This kid from New York. One time, I don't know if you remember, do you remember a fighter from, uh, from, uh, oh, man, what was his name? Oh, uh, now, now I got blanked out. There was, there was a kid, anyway. There was a really good kid from New York City mm-hmm. uh, back in the 90s, amateur. He turned pro when he was like 18. Good, good amateur. Solid, good puncher. He used to imitate Camacho. He had the curl and everything. So he was about 7-0. and 0, And a guy called me. He said, hey, man, I see you got a kid, like 135. Uh, 
few fights. He never fought anybody. Never been more than four rounds. I said, yeah, what's his name? And he told me his name, and I was like, really? You mean national junior Olympic champion? You mean the guy that beat this guy in the final? You mean? And he goes, oh, you know, and this is what he said. To me. He goes, oh, you know him? I go, yeah, I know him. He goes, oh, never mind. And he hung up. <laughs> he hung up, like, because he, basically, it was like, he's going to call me to see if he can trick me into yep. taking this fight. Yep. And once he realized I knew, it was like, oh, no harm, no foul. We're still friends, even though I just tried to get your guy destroyed. Mm-hmm. And he hung up and called somebody else and got them destroyed. You know, so God. luckily for me and my fighter, I knew Ben. So even though this guy and I are friends, we're still friends. I talk to him all, to this day, 20 years later, I talk to him all the time. But if he could have got me that day, he would have got me. Yep. And if he could get me tomorrow, he'll get me tomorrow. Mm-hmm. It's the way the game is. And uh, and it's not for everyone. The, the, the boxing game professionally is dirty. It's a really dirty game. There's no other way to, to put it. Yep. And that's why I've never been a promoter and I've never been a manager. And I wouldn't because I couldn't. I couldn't do the things they do to fighters. I'd rather be the guy, a friend of a fighter, who I can tell this, this is what's going to happen to you. They're going to do this, this, and that, and this is why they're asking you this, and this is why they're telling you that, and this is what that means. I'd rather advise guys and warn them about the dirtiness of the pro game. It's a, it's a, it's a scandalous sport. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll say that much. Was it Victor Rosado? No. He was in the 90s from New York. He used to have the curl. Um, he was like, come on, he loved Camacho. He had the Camacho curl on his forehead. What's his name? Um, I'm going I'm to think of it after, we, after we're done. Yeah, well, but we'll he, was, he was a Jury Olympic champion. Put it this way. He won the 1997 National Jury Olympics at 125. He beat Tiger Allen that year, who's not Sim Richardson's son. So... He was a good, good, solid amateur, and uh, you know everybody in New York knew him. He was, he was big. And when the guy called me, he, he figured I didn't know him. He didn't know that I was coaching amateurs and I was on that scene, so I already knew who these guys were. Uh, so he couldn't trick me, um, and he would have if he could have. So it's just, uh, it's dirty, just the way it dirty is. Dirty game. I know. <clears throat> Excuse me. I know that. Uh... You got some sparring matches with Roy Jones, and you also believe that he's the greatest pound for pound of all time. Do you still believe he's the greatest pound for pound of all time? I, I believe this. I mean, you know, Ray Robinson could be, Sugar Ray Leonard could be. You know, there's different guys, but I believe this. If you take Roy Jones at his best, you say this guy today, Tuesday, the 25th of December, He's the best he's ever going to be, and we're going to put him in with anybody. I don't think he loses that, period. I don't think anybody beats him. No one. I don't think they can touch him. I don't think they can take his power. I don't think they can handle his speed that's combined with power. He's just too much. And, you know, it's like when he fought, I'll tell you how great he is. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a quick story. Mm-hmm. He fights Montel Griffin the first time. He was winning, but he wasn't looking good. He wasn't looking himself. He was coming on, and, you know, he hurt Montel, and, you know, then he hit him while he was down. Now, tell me how. So the second fight comes, and everybody 
was like, oh, a big rematch, you know, Montel, you don't know he's going to do this and that. I was talking to Roy Jones' lawyer's son a couple days before the fight. Because the fight was in Connecticut. I was going to go, but I actually had to take my team to the house they fair that, that Saturday. So I couldn't go see Roy's fight. So I went to the casino just to hang out with the team, with the Roy Jones team, and you know. And his 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 manager's son told me, yeah, Roy was at the house the other day, and he said, bet the house, bet everything you own. This fight doesn't go more than two rounds. And my friend was like, really? He said that. He goes, man, because he was in the house like a week ago, and he said, bet everything you got. This fight doesn't go two rounds. Now, the, then they went to the dressing room for the fight. And usually when Roy's in the dressing room, there's music. It's like a, it's like a club. They're hanging, they're dancing, they're telling jokes. Roy said, no music. I don't want people hanging out. I don't want any joking. I'm going to be, I'm going to be focused. I'm going to be something else tonight. You saw what happened. One round, you know, <laughs> and he just went in there. That was him pushing it. And it, when have you seen Roy for an entire fight push it? You know, he pushed it in spurts because he only had to because right. he was so superior to these guys. He would beat them just with athleticism and gifts. But on that night, he, and, and like I said, I wouldn't believe it after the fact, but the kid told me before the fight, he said, Roy said, bet everything, this fight doesn't go too round. And that's what happened. Now, and, and there's that's not too many guys that can produce that kind of results. And Montel Griffin wasn't a bad fighter. No, no, he wasn't. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Montel was a good KG boxer, yeah. you know, the whole thing, Olympian, all that. But Roy, you know, we wanted to see that Roy every time. We always wanted to see Roy, but I understand it to a, de to a degree. Like, you're so superior that... 80% of you is still 20% better than everybody else. Yeah. So how do you maintain that level of, of, of viciousness and intensity all the time? It would be hard. Now, if he did, he would never lose. Like, I believe Roy Jones would have retired undefeated, period. And he coming back to light heavyweight after the heavyweight was a, was a tough thing. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you another quick story. You know, everybody knows... When Roy Jones came back down to make light heavy, it was rough because he had to lose muscle as opposed to losing water weight and fat. Yeah. I was with him at his house. He has a gym at his house in Pensacola. I was with him on July 30, 19, I mean 2003. He was so big and thick. I said to him, I said, man, you, you kind of look like Herschel Walker, like your neck. And you remember Herschel Walker, the running back? He was a beast. Herschel was a physical beast. And I told Roy, wow, you look kind of like Herschel Walker, the way you're built. He was so thick and, and everything. Now, he fought Tarver like three and a half months later. Let's see, August, September, October, November. So three and a half months later. Well, the fight wasn't even signed yet. Roy didn't even tell me anything about the fight happening. So that means he probably had realistically a little more than two months, two and a half months to lose that weight. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, uh, muscle weight. Now, you find a great fight. Tarver's a top-tier fight. Tarver's a beast. You find Antonio Tarver coming down under those conditions at 35 years of age. People forget Roy Jones was 35 when that all happened. 
that's a that's a big problem. And he still won the fight. We won by you know the narrowest of margins, but he was never the same. It, a lot of it had to do with Antonio Tarp. Not taking anything away from him, but a lot. It's just a fact. It had to do with losing all that muscle and then having such a tough fight. Uh, and the fight, for all intents and purposes, ruined Roy Jones. He's never been the same since that day. Yeah, yeah. they for Glenn Johnson and. Yeah. And we saw what happened as well. Yeah. It's, it's a gift and a curse. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, he, now look, all respect to Glenn Johnson, he wouldn't be Roy Jones, no way, no how, no. at any time. You know, he would. I think he would have went the distance with Roy, he would have made it a good fight, all that. He doesn't beat Roy Jones, and he doesn't beat him every round like he did. Clearly, Roy, even if I'm a realist, I'm the type of person, if I hate a guy, and I don't hate anybody, but I'm just saying, if I hated, if I, if I, if I didn't like a singer, and I said, oh, I can't stand it, but I, I'm not going to say she's terrible. If she's a great singer, I'm going to say she's a great singer. I just don't like her as a person. Same thing as the fighter. People make the mistake of not liking the fighter, and then they also say he's not good. That's, that's stupid. That's ignorant. Yeah, you may that. not like it. You may not like Floyd Mayweather. You may not like the way Floyd talks. You may not like the way he dresses. You may not like the business and the way he protected his own and, you know, went after the old run. The guy was an unbelievable, phenomenal fighter. You, you can't take that away from Floyd Mayweather. Even if you dislike him, you can't take that away from the guy. So Roy Jones at his best, I would love to hear who could beat him. You know what I mean? Guys, guys beat him. Guys gave him tough fights. But at his elite super best... Talking number one right there. Yeah, yeah, and he beat he beat James Tony at his best. He beat beat Hopkins and Young Hopkins. So yeah. he beat Hopkins. He beat Hopkins with one hand. Well, yeah. He beat them like they never even fought before. Yeah, yeah. He beat guys who were top ten solid contenders. They couldn't hit him. They couldn't touch him. Yeah. You know, it was like they never even boxed before. But they fight other people and they look great. That yeah. tells you what level he was at. John, um, I know you also trained while you were fighting uh, Lawrence Claybay. Yes, sir. How, how did that go? Um, I'll tell you, well, actually, I trained him. I had to make a choice. Claybay was the situation where I was still fighting. My, my last fight was 2001. It was one of my best performances of my career. I had no choice but to keep fighting because I felt and looked great. So over the next year or so, I had different fights fall out. Um, you know, fights got canceled, guys got sick, whatever happened. In the meantime, they called me and said, hey, Lawrence Claybay needs a trainer. And he only lives like two miles from me. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know what? I'm not busy. I'll, I'll, I'll train him while I'm training. So I started training. And what happened was they called me for a fight, for me to fight Elvira Mariki. It was, uh, and they offered the fight, and it was like, hypothetically say it was June 1st. Okay, you're going to fight Elbert Mariki June 1st. I took the fight. Like, literally a day later, they tell me Claybase fighting June 2nd. So I said, uh, I said, no problem, I'll fight June 1st, and then I'll train him, and I'll work his corner the 2nd. And after a couple of days of thinking about it, I realized I couldn't do that to him, to Claybase. He, he, he's relying on me to be his trainer, to put my 100% into him. And that was when I made up my mind that I'm, I'm going to just let it go and, and I'm going to concentrate on the fighters. 
and you fought June, if I'm correct, because it was the day after my mother's birthday, June 22nd. 2001. There you go. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> oh, man. So what's what's next for you, John? Um, well, you know, Better Bios is, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, I think he's going to fight Joe Smith. In New York, probably in Madison Square Garden. So that's big. May, maybe in May, maybe in June. Uh, that's going to be a big fight, unification fight. So I'm belie- I believe that's the next fight. So I'll be going to camp with him for that, and uh, and we'll be. I guess we'll be seeing you in New York. Hey, if you guys, if you guys are in town, come to Boxingology. Absolutely. We could probably get you uh, Travis Pedikin. I don't know if you remember him. Travis Pedikin, six, 16 and one pro. Yep. He's a light heavyweight. Yeah. He's a lefty. Um, I mean, he could he could switch. Maybe he could do some sparring too if you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I said, we'll see. We'll see when the fight gets made, and you know. But we need, we would need someone to fight like Joe Smith, of course. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But uh, generally, one thing I'll say, even recently, there's been talk about Bob Arum and. You know, people being critical of him, and I know he's an older guy. He says a lot of he says a lot of old man stuff. Yeah. You know, he's, he's at that age where he just doesn't care anymore, and, I, and we're all gonna get there. My father was like that, and but I'll say this: I've dealt with different promoters, you know, right from Don King down the line, and I would say, in my experience dealing with fighters, dealing with top rank, they are the most professional, the most organized group promotional group I've ever seen. Everything is taken care of. Everything is on point for the fighter. The fighter is better gets the benefit of everything. So I'm sure, you know, when we come to New York, everything's gonna be situated. We'll have everything we need when we get there for sure. Yeah, my good buddy uh Jahai Tucker, uh he's from Long Island, he's with top rank yeah. as well. And Josue yeah. Vargas as well. Yeah. And they all get treated yeah, pretty they, good. Chicago, been all over, and uh, you know, first class operation. They take care of their fighters. Things are on point. They take care of no problems. Yeah. What do you think of the fight this past week with Thurman? He looked pretty sharp. Yeah, you know, I, I've always, I've always liked. I, I first saw Keith Thurman spar when he was a kid. I didn't even know who he was, and I, and even. It was the few years I saw him spar with a world champion at the time, a world champion, a bigger guy. And he was, I saw this kid sparring and I'm like, man, this kid, I don't know who this kid is. This kid's unbelievable. And then years later, I was talking to Keith in Florida one day. And we're talking and different things, you know, memories came up. And as the conversation unfolded, I realized, I said, wait a second, were you in... Uh, where were we? Um, oh man, California. Oops, you know, the, the Lake Tahoe. I said, I said, were you in Lake Tahoe with Jeff Lacey in 2006? Were you in the camp? And he goes, yeah. I go, you were the guy that was sparring that other guy. And he's like, yeah. And I was there and I saw him sparring and I was super, super, super impressed with him. And he was only a kid then. He was like 17. Uh, so I knew then what kind of future he had. Uh, you know, it's unfortunate his career got derailed and he had to take so much time off. But, you know, Keith Thurman at his best, 
he's, he's a problem for anybody, you know, Spence included. How how you think that fight will go against him and Spence? I mean, I'd like to, you know, see him get a couple more fights and get get acclimated again and get that rust off. But um, I mean, I, I mean, I, I, if 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 Keith is like he was, if he's the Keith of before, he, he's right in, in Spence's face the whole the whole night. The only the only big the big edge for me that Spence has is his body punch. Spence is, a, is an excellent body puncher, yeah. and I've seen Keith, Keith stung by body shots uh, more, you know, tw- on two occasions. Uh, you know, you can't allow that with with uh, with Carol Spence. So, John, I'm going to give you two more questions because I know you got to do a lot of things tonight too. Um, who was your favorite fighter growing up? Who you emulated or who you who you loved the most growing up as a fighter? Muhammad Ali. I know you had a trainer, I think uh, John Tiny? I always 
situation like this? What would Angelo Dundee do in a situation like this? And more often than not, they wouldn't act stupid. And they wouldn't act dis- disrespectful. You know, you never saw Eddie Fudge and Angelo Dundee at a press conference trying to be the star and pointing at the other opponent and trying to argue. You know, now you see trainers arguing with the, their fighter's opponent like they're going to fight. You know, so I think we're, everybody's trying to be famous. Everybody's trying to be known. Everybody's trying to be seen. Everybody wants to be a part of the show. Boxing has turned into a show. And everybody who knows the fighter, even his friends, they want to be in the ring before the fight. I, I remember having guys ask me, hey, man, when you fight, can I come in the ring with you? And I'm like, what? So you can stand there and meet and mug the other guy that you're never going to have to fight in your life. <laughs> you know, and, you're gonna, and then you can go and sit in the audience and, well, after you got that guy wanting to kill me. <laughs> I mean, so... I, uh, you know, I'm not into that. I prefer Eddie Futch, Angelo Dundee, Ray Arcel, that, that mentality of a trainer. John, man, thank you for, we appreciate you coming on the show, man. You, you, you gave us some great stories today, man. I, I wish we could have had you on longer. We definitely got to chat again. As, uh, yeah, oh, no problem. Listen, it's an honor. I appreciate you guys asking me and, uh, anytime. After, know, after the... Know. After the fight with uh, uh, Joe Smith and Arthur Bervy, yeah. we definitely got to have you back. Yes, sir. That'd yeah. be, uh, and, that'd be and great. We'll, we'll definitely we'll probably be at that fight, too. Yeah, we'll be at the definitely going to yeah. be at the fight, too. Yeah, yeah we'll be there. We yes, appreciate sir. you, John. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you, Chad. All right, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much.